0: Thank you very much, David, and it's an honor to speak to you this evening by way of this uh, platform venue, but I'm glad to tell you that there is good news in a troubled time like this. There can be peace in the storm. There is an anchor in life. There can be a bright future for you. You can experience a deeper meaning in life. You can be absolutely sure uh, you're going to be in heaven. There is good news tonight, and that's where we're going to read. We're going to read from the Bible, but before we do that, I just want to wish all the mothers and the grandmothers a very happy Mother's Day. I'm sure you've wished been wished that a number of times already today. It is now evening, but Mother's Day technically is not over until midnight. So thank, thank you. So I'm going to read in two places in the Bible, just two three word expressions from the new testament of the bible and the first one is in matthew's gospel chapter four and verse one the context here is jesus is going to be tempted by satan in the wilderness verse one reads then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward he was hungry now when the tempter came to him he said if you are the son of god command that these stones become bread and how did jesus respond jesus answered and said it is written Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the story goes on, but I just want you to get those three words. It is written. Jesus said that when confronted with Satan himself. And the other three words are found in John's Gospel, chapter 19. John, chapter 19, and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine or vinegar was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So, just those two, three word expressions. It is written and it is finished. It is written. Is this book fable or fact? It is written. Jesus used the word of God confront Satan he said it is written I am so thankful that God has spoken and the Bible is his word I don't know what you think of the Bible whether you've read it lately or not but I can tell you that not everyone loves the Bible not everyone appreciates the word of God but this book has survived many attacks its influence is widespread. There are uh, pieces of our language that we use, little expressions that come right from the word of God. People don't even realize they're quoting the Bible. When you hear someone say, I knew it, the writing was on the wall. Where did that come from? The word of God, Daniel. And there are many other expressions like that. It's just a part of our normal daily conversation and it comes from the bible so people may not like the book but its influence is widespread its reliability its authenticity it has been questioned but those who read it most question it the least and those who have made it their lifelong study they have mined gold and treasures from its pages, you know, people study literature at university, and uh, they just believe it. Uh, it's so credible. Much of the ancient literature that they'll study, some of it was copied. The originals do not exist. Copied eight hundred to a thousand years after the original vanished. People mock the Bible sometimes. They say, well, there are no originals. Well, there's there are no originals for some of the literature you'll study at university. But what the Bible is going for that much that you will study in university doesn't have going for it. There are copies in existence today from the original, and they were made 100 years, not 800 years later or a thousand years after the original. There are copies in existence today that secular people have verified and authenticated made 100 years after the original. So I'm thankful that we don't have to rely on oral traditions that have been preserved and transmitted from generation to generation. We have God's word for it. And I won't give you the statistics tonight but if you're interested in them I can send them to you but I can confirm with you that the Bible is the best selling book year after year after year and that's not religious propaganda I had a an agnostic who writes in journals and magazines in the United States of America and he emailed me personally and he said I asked him why isn't this book on the top 10 best-selling list. Why do I never see it if it's so popular? He said it is routinely removed from every competition because it would win hands down every year as a number one best-selling book, hard copy and digitally. So I don't know what you know about the Bible, but it is God's manual for the human race. It is written, Jesus said, it is God's manual for the human race. Now, I'm not a technical person at all. Years ago, we got a lawnmower, a ride on lawnmower. And you know what we got with that ride on lawnmower from Sears? We got the owner's manual. Did you ever think of your Bible as God's manual for the human race? When something happens, I ride on lawnmower, I can go to the various sections. It's assembly how it operates, maintenance, troubleshooting, service, adjustments, optimal performance. God's word is God's manual for the human race. Perhaps you wondered, why do I have thoughts like that? Like I'm, why do I have those dark thoughts? Why can't I control that impulse in a traffic jam? Why do I lay on the horn? Why? Do you ever go to God's manual and see what the manual says? What's wrong? The Bible says that without exception, Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. So God's requirements, his holy standards is found in his manual. Our problem, our ruin by sin, that's here. But also God's wonderful remedy. For our sin, Jesus Christ, it's all contained in God's manual, the Bible. It is written, Jesus said. It is God's message for you. You have my word for it, people say. But no, no, you can trust me. You have my word for it. Or they'll say, put that in writing, please. Well, I can tell you that God is as good as his word and he has put his word in writing for you john chapter one verse one says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so you can accept what is in your school books written by scientists and mathematicians and historians but maybe you can't trust the bible i've often thought you know the things that people will believe some of the conspiracy theories that were circulating and and getting a lot of attention the past week or two online just unbelievable conspiracy theories people will believe many things if if there was a report today that a 750 pound monster mosquito with a wingspan of 10 yards or whatever 10 meters for a canadian I suppose. um if it was discovered just north of of midland park and maybe way up in the albany area that would be the buzz of the talk tomorrow did you hear about the monster mosquito 750 pound mosquito but when it comes to the bible it has survived attacks over the centuries and it marches on god's word there are internal proofs that it is God's word. There are external verifications. People somehow cannot rest on the word of God. Can you? Let me ask you, do you think the Bible is for the weak and simple-minded, the intellectually inferior, the uneducated members of society? Some people have said that to me. Do you think a brilliant person, uh Would ever think the Bible was anything more than a collection of dubious ancient writings? Is a commitment to science and the unwavering belief in the Bible, are those two incompatible somehow mutually exclusive, a commitment to science and an unwavering belief in the Bible? I would use maybe Canadian examples if I was speaking to a Canadian audience, but I'll use American examples. Dr. Francis Collins, he's been in the news quite a bit in the last few months. He is a director of your NIH. He headed years ago, the Human Genome Project. Um, he stood beside Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, to announce the, the mapping of the human genome probably 20 years ago now. He stated... At that time, when he was involved in the mapping of the human genome, he said this, and it's a quote, It is humbling for me and awe-inspiring to realize that we have caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book, previously known only to God, end quote. And he went on. He was appointed by President Obama to head the NIH, and then he was reappointed by President Trump. And he believes the Bible. He was once an atheist, but science led him to God. And he is a Bible-believing Christian as the head of the NIH, not intellectually inferior in any way. Rosalind Wright Picard, she's a prominent American scholar and lead engineer at MIT. Right now, she is working on giving robots human-like emotions. Her research on AI and emotions, it's known around the world. In 2019, Rosalind Wright-Picard won the highest professional honor available to any engineer. And she was once an atheist. And she is a a Christian who writes, along with her research and her engineering, um, her academic life, She writes beautiful devotional articles about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to be intellectually inferior to rest on the word of God. It is written. But thank God for those of us who don't have the cerebral capacity that others have. We too can rest on the word of God. It is written. But then we read this. It is finished. Do those words mean anything to you? Right where it's written. This is God's word. It is written. We also read these words. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Do you believe that? That Jesus finished something on the cross. Well, How would you know? Well, it is written. It's in the word of God. What parts of the Bible can't you believe? When you get to John 19, verse 30, can you accept that? Jesus said, just before he dismissed his spirit and died, he said, it is finished. Oh, the significance of the last words of individuals. Before someone dies, people lean over a bed and they try to catch their last words. Well, the last words of Jesus before he died. It is finished. What do you think he meant? Do you think he mumbled the words? The Bible says in another gospel that he cried with a loud voice. So was it a tragic cry or a triumphant cry? It is finished. Were they bitter words of defeat? Or were they sweet words of victory? On the cross, was Jesus going down to defeat? Or was it a decisive victory? But you know the story of the cross. The the scenes of the cross. A 33-year-old man hanging on a middle cross. He looked strikingly different from the others. He had spit plastered on his face thorns piercing deeply into his forehead. His back was whipped and whipped and whipped until it was a mass of raw flesh. His face was bruised. They pulled the beard out of his face. There are two other criminals. They didn't have a crown of thorns. They weren't wearing spit, but this 33-year-old man in the middle cross. What was really going on there? Have you thought about it? Easter's now a month behind us, but what was, who was this person? Was he a starry-eyed idealist? Was he an ignorant rustic from the countryside? Was he a religious extremist, an imposter? Was he a slick opportunist, caught up with him? Or quaint mystic? Was he an ethical fanatic? What? Who was this man? He's on a cross. He's about to die. This is a man that was said to people, John chapter 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But now he is on the cross himself, and he is in thirst. He is the one, John chapter 8, verse 36, he said, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. But now he is nailed to the cross. The one who promised freedom. What's going on here? John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Look at his life. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But now he is facing death. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world. Whoever believes in me will not live and abide in darkness. But now he's in darkness at the cross. Jesus said to people, he said, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The way? He's on a cross. And now he cries, it is finished. What did he mean by that? It is finished. Was he conceding defeat? Was he admitting failure? It's all over. I came on a mission, but I failed. all up with me now. Finished? Was he acknowledging that it was one big colossal blunder, a mistake? Was he succumbing to weakness? Was it a trapped cry? Troubled cry? Or I already asked you this. Was it a triumphant cry? What do you think? What does finished mean? When Jesus said it is finished he didn't say it is partly done he didn't say it is mostly done he didn't say it's 75 percent finished he said it's finished never get a do-it-yourself kit maybe ikea or walmart it's just so simple a desk just buy it take it home well, it's far from finished. It's a nightmare. Man, you you get up the manual and you look at all the sizes of the screws and the bolts and the wrenches and whatever it is. It is far from finished. They might promote it as just put it simply together, but it's not. It's not easy to do. There are lots of DIY YouTube videos. Do it yourself. When Jesus said it is finished, what did he mean? To switch the analogy a little bit into the metaphor and say, is your go arrangement? Ever buy something, make installments on it? When Jesus said it is finished, what did he mean? You know what he meant? It is paid in full. When he said it is finished, no point system, there is no merit system. You can earn travel reward miles for a trip to Hawaii, but you cannot earn merit points to travel to heaven. Now, Jesus said it is finished. You know what was finished, just in case you're not following my train of thought? Here's what was finished. At the cross, God's perfect unique one and only son. He came to be the savior of the world. He came to die for our sins. He came to deal with the problem of sin in the universe. And he went to the cross. So he wasn't taken off guard by the cross. He came to bear sin's penalty in full. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, I have paid sin's debt in full. I have taken the stroke of divine judgment for sin. It is finished. The provision for all sinners and for each sinner has been fully made for in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, provided for. He paid sin's debt in full. One of the greatest heresies in religion is a teaching that you can work your way to God. They say, oh, yes, Jesus' death was amazing, but you must do your part too. Can I say it kindly? What an insulting slam to the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross to even suggest that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago isn't quite enough for you to be saved from your sins and made right with God, and that you must make your own contribution, your own -er self-effort to merit eternal life. thats Insulting to Christ himself. That is nothing but a dark lie from Satan himself to minimize the sufficiency of what Christ did and to exalt human effort. No, Jesus didn't say, I have done 75% on the cross and a sinner must do the remaining 25%. He said, finished! Oh, if I was speaking to a, an audience in an actual auditorium or room, I would ask you to plug your ears and I would cry quite loudly. It is finished because I can hear it echoing down through the ages, through 1000 AD, 1500 1800s, 1900s, the year 2000, the year 2020, May the 10th, echoing Down through the ages, finished, 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 finished. Right down to Midland Park and wherever else um, might be involved tonight. The word from the cross. It is finished. Not 75% done. Jesus paid sin's debt in full. Um, I've never been over to Paris yet. Um, I've never been to the Louvre Museum. Um, But there's a very famous painting over there, the Mona Lisa It was painted, it's a painting from the Renaissance in the 1500s by Leonardo da Vinci. And um, back in 2017, insurance valuation put it at eight, the value at $800 million. Expensive painting. Imagine if I visited the Louvre and I asked for a private appointment with the curator of the museum. And I said, look, I brought my my." Paintbrush and my set of paints here, um, beautiful colors. And uh, I'm wondering if you can open up that bulletproof container. I would just like to add a few things to the Mona Lisa painting. I think I'd get a blank stare and then I'd be ushered out. You ever think of the cross like that? When Jesus said it is finished. And then someone says, oh, but there must be something that I can add to it. There must be some good works that will contribute to my salvation. No, Jesus said it is finished. It's the masterpiece of grace. No one can touch it. It's done. It's absolutely sufficient. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. It is written. Can you believe God's word? And it is finished. Can you believe God's word? It's all done. Jesus paid your sin debt in full. And you have God's word for it. It is written. And he wants you to accept it. And thank him and be happy and just rest on the finished work, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross and the empty tomb is God's masterpiece of grace. Now, just before I finish, I want to ask you this, and I want to see what answer you get to each of these questions. I wrote four of them down. When a work is finished, What remains to be done? The second question is, if a load has been totally lifted, how much weight remains? The third one, if a debt has been paid in full, what is left owing? And the last one is, if a gift is free, how much can you pay for it? See, Romans 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friend, we point you to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. You can rely on God's written word. It is written. It is finished. God does not tell you lies. And, well, there is an old story in the Bible, one of the ancients back in in Genesis, um, an old father, Jacob. And he was finding it really difficult to believe that his son, Joseph, who had been, he thought had been dead for years, he got word that he was alive. And then not just alive, that he was a prime minister of Egypt. Old Papa probably couldn't believe it. But when he saw the wagons coming from Egypt to take him, to pick him up and all his belongings and to go down to see his son, now the prime minister of Egypt. When he saw the U-Haul wagons coming from Egypt to get him, you know what? He believed. He didn't need any more evidence. He said, it is enough. I don't need any more evidence. My son, Joseph, is alive. And as just before I pray, I want to say, it is written. God's word is true. Christ did die for the ungodly. Christ did lay down his life for your sins. It is written. It is finished. And thank God, I can say it is enough. I don't need any more evidence. I trust jesus christ as my savior i've known him for 50 years you can see my white hair right life isn't all a bed of roses we've had our share of tears but what a christian has through all the tumultuous times and the storms and the vicissitudes of life a christian has a deep inner peace because it's all settled Christ is our Savior. Heaven is their home. They're not hoping with their fingers crossed. Absolutely sure, based on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Let's pray now, and then we'll hand it back to David.